remember being in college and going on a trip uh, with a college pastor, and I remember him explaining it to me, and he said, you know what, one week, spending one week living on mission with God, serving others, trying to share your faith, one week of that impacts how you live the other 51 weeks out of the year. And I found that to be so true, not just in my life, in my family's life, in countless students' lives that we've taken on trips over the years. And so that's why we're continuing to offer as many mission trips as we can moving forward, like to Atlanta and Guatemala and other places like that, because I think living on mission with Christ for one week out of the year impacts how you live the other 51 weeks out of the year. It's because you're reminded of the vast lostness in our world, and you start to love the lost in the same way that God loves the lost. And that's what we're talking about this morning in Luke chapter 15. We're talking about these three parables that Jesus tells back to back to back. And in each one of them, they are all about something that has been lost and has been found. And in here, we're reminded of God's love for the lost and how he wants us to demonstrate that same love to others in our world. And we're reminded of the value of one. It's a very long passage with three different stories, like I said. So let's pray together and then we'll dive in to those. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together and worship. We don't take that lightly after the past two years and all that's happened. We're thankful for this moment and those that you've gathered right here, right now, on a, uh, for a reason, for a purpose. Lord, you're in control of all things, and you have chosen each single person to be here, worshiping you, hearing from your word this morning for a reason. And so we pray that your word would do the work this morning. We pray that you would be present here in this place, that your spirit would use this, these stories to encourage us, remind us of your great love for us, and also to challenge us to live just like Jesus lived. We pray this all in his name. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it starts off this way. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So if you're taking notes this morning in the bulletin, the first point is this. Uh, our Savior values the one. Our Savior values the one. And here in this story, he starts off by talking back and forth with these scribes and these Pharisees. And they were the arrogant religious rulers of the day. They observed not just the Old Testament laws, but they also created extra religious regulations and traditions um, so that they could demonstrate just how much holier than thou they were than everyone else. And on the outside, it looked like they loved God by their actions. But on the inside, their hearts were hard towards God. They cared more about power than people. They cared more about money than about God being worshiped. And they cared more about public approval rather than personal devotion to God. So when they saw Jesus befriending sinners and eating with them, they grumbled. They complained. They thought that a person as important as Jesus should spend time with the important people of the world. And they considered themselves a part of that group. They thought that Jesus should instead be inviting them to the table to eat with them, to spend time with them in their houses. But instead, Jesus went to the tax collectors and sinners because he saw the value of one. He saw the value of one. And he tells three stories to the Pharisees and scribes so that they too would understand the value of one. The first story starts like this. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep 
if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You know, English is a funny language, right? One word can have multiple different meanings. I was reminded of this truth recently when I was talking to my kids. We were at a festival downtown. It's called Seawee, and, uh, and they were demonstrating, uh, uh, explaining information about all these different types of animals in our area, birds of prey, and about some of the dogs. They were having this competition, see who can jump off the dock the farthest, and we were going around from exhibit to exhibit. The kids were loving it. They were learning all about the animals there, and I said to my oldest, uh, who's almost turning six uh, next month, and I said to him, all right, Let's go see the dogs herding the sheep. And all of a sudden, concern came over his face. He thought, Dad, why are the dogs herding the sheep? I was like, oh, well, next they're herding ducks. He's, why are they herding ducks too? I said, no, they're not physically herding the, the sheep and the ducks. They're guiding them. So let's go watch. And we watched as this dog handler came out with some beautiful border collies, and he was blowing his whistle, giving them instructions. They were coming to the right and the left, and they were, they were not guiding, or they were not herding. They were guiding these, uh, these sheep around and all that, and they were doing the ducks and things like that, and it was really cool to watch. And then all of a sudden, something happened. One of the sheep got lost. One of the sheep jumped out and all of a sudden started running into the parking lot, and all the people around us started looking around and thinking about, where did I park my car? Did I park my car over there? Is a sheep about to ram into my car over there? And uh, the dog handler, just all of a sudden, he knew exactly what to do. He didn't panic at all. He just blew his whistle, had his dogs come around. They went into the parking lot. Ten seconds later, the lost sheep came back in with the rest of them. And I thought, this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus is describing here with this Good shepherd who has one sheep that goes missing. When God knew that we were going to go missing because of our sin, he doesn't panic. He calmly pursues us. He diligently searches for us, and he rescues us and brings us back with great ease and great joy. He tells a story here about a shepherd who loses one, and yet he still has 99 And he says they're here in the open country. And what does he do? He doesn't cut his losses and think, oh, well, I still have 99 sheep here. That's still good enough. That's still important work. I can still make money off of these 99 sheep that I have. No, he leaves them. Leaves them here in the open country to go after and pursue the one lost sheep. And so what is Jesus trying to teach us here? He's trying to remind us that his love is sacrificial. His love for us is sacrificial. It cost him a lot. This shepherd sacrifices his time and his energy to track down this lost sheep, and he carries it back to the 99. And when he gets back, he rejoices. It says that he throws the sheep over his shoulders. He doesn't try to guide it back. He picks the sheep up. He brings it back to safety. And as he does, he rejoices. There's joy on his face. And so what God is trying to teach us here is that his love for us is sacrificial and it's joyful. It's sacrificial and it's joyful. Now, when he gets back and he reunites his 100 sheep, 
Did you catch what happens in the story? After that, he goes and he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and they have a party. He has a party because the lost sheep has come home. Now, this is a story that you've probably heard a couple of times if you've been in church before. But imagine for a second that you've never grown up in church, you've never heard this story before, you get to this part of the story and you think, that part is kind of strange. All of a sudden, this shepherd finds the one lost sheep and he throws a party over it. You would think that if a shepherd loses a sheep, he probably wouldn't mention it to anybody. Like, that's not a very good job that he is doing at work. He loses a sheep, that's something that he probably shouldn't do. He probably shouldn't spread that information to everybody else. And then, if he does get it back home, that's like, okay, well, I, get, I did my job today, right? Why is he going to throw a party over that? It seems strange. My, uh, we're always losing the remote control at our house. That probably happens at your house too, right? Especially if you have kids or grandkids. If I lose my remote control and then we find it later in the day, I'm not going to call together all my neighbors and all my friends and everybody from the church and have a big party because we found the remote control, right? It seems strange. And what, so what is Jesus trying to teach us here? He's trying to teach us that his love is not only sacrificial and joyful, but that joy is contagious. That that joy is contagious, and he wants it to spread to everyone who loves him and is a part of his kingdom as well. Jesus says that there's a party up in heaven among the angels. Whenever someone comes to faith, there's great rejoicing in heaven. And so he contrasts this heavenly party with what the scribes and Pharisees are doing. He says, hey, Pharisees, scribes, you guys are grumbling about there being so many lost sheep in the world. Instead of doing that, why don't you join in with the party? There is rejoicing going on right now in heaven over what I am doing here. And the same choice lies before us. We can either continue to grumble and complain about all the sin in our world, about how things used to be so much better, about all the sin that we see on social media and on the TV, and in our friends' lives, and in our own life. We can grumble, we complain about all the sin in the world. We can grumble, we can complain about how many lost sheep there are in the world. Or we can choose to rejoice with what God is doing. Every single year, we see new people come to faith in Christ here at this church. Every single year, we see new people baptized into the family of God here at this church. Every single year, we see new people join this church. And we need to rejoice over that rather than complaining about all the brokenness in our world. God is at work. He's at work here in this church. He's at work all around the world today. And so instead of grumbling and complaining, let's love the lost sheep around us and let's rejoice in what God is doing. So the first point for us this morning is this, is that our Savior values the one. Second is this, is that our mission is to value the one. Our mission is to value the one. The second story starts in verse 8, and it says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When we were in Honduras, we had a translator with us to help us speak to the locals and pray with them and share with them. And this translator was an amazing man of God and a pastor uh, in the area. And I was talking to him about what his ministry looks like. And he told me this great story about someone in his church who is now a deacon in his church and a leader amongst his people. And he said, he didn't always used to be that way. 
the first time I met him, he came up to me and he said, I don't believe that God exists. Can we get together and have coffee and talk about that? So he said, sure. And they got together and they had coffee and they talked about that. And then they got together and they had coffee again and again and again. And they talked about his different objections to Christianity and um, why he didn't believe that there was a God and all this. And eventually he came to faith in Christ and he was baptized and he became a leader in their church and became a deacon in their church. And I said, man, that's an amazing story. So how, how long did you have to meet with him and, and drink coffee and talk about all his questions? And he said, three years. Three years of coffee, almost every single week. Three years with this same person pouring into him, answering his questions, loving this lost sheep. He said, many, many coffees. He said, and then he smiled. And he said, but that's okay because I drink eight coffees a day. <laughs> a, a typical Honduran person, right? Um, uh, what an amazing example of someone who is diligently seeking after the lost. And that's what we see here in this story about this woman with the lost coin. She has 10 to start off with. Each coin represents about a full day's wages. She loses one. Now you think, okay, she still has nine. She still can buy food that she needs, pay her bills. She can still get by. Even if she loses that one coin in her house, it's okay. She can move on with her life. But she says, no, I want this lost coin. And so she lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. She searches diligently, Scripture says, until she finds that lost coin. And when she does, what does she do? Just like in the first story, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, and they have a party over this lost coin that once was lost and now is found. So a lot of parallels between the first and second story, right? One thing goes missing. Do they really need that one thing that's lost? No, they can get by. But they want it, they seek for it, they find it, and they rejoice together. So what is God trying to remind us of here this morning? Well, friends, because of our sin, we are lost. We are like the lost sheep and the lost coin. We have wandered away from God in our sin. And guess what? God doesn't really need us. He could have cut his losses and said, I don't really need to redeem that person. But he wants you. God doesn't need you for anything. He didn't create you because he was lonely. He didn't redeem you because he needed you to work for him for the rest of your life. He does not need you in order to accomplish anything in this world because he's God and he can do whatever he wants. He does not need you for anything, but he wants you. He wants to be with you forever. He loves you so much he would sacrifice his only son so that you and him could be united in fellowship for all of eternity. This God of everything does not need you, but he wants you. And so he diligently pursued you in your sin. He sent Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, to live a perfectly sinless life that you and I could not live. And then he died on the cross to take the punishment for our sin. God pouring his wrath out on his son. And then three days later, he came back to life, and now he offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life with him for anyone who would turn from their sin and trust in him. This is the good news of the gospel. And when someone does trust in Jesus for salvation, he rejoices in heaven. And now, Christian, if you have chosen to follow after Jesus, you are now called to live the same type of way. Being a Christian means you are a little Christ. Being a disciple of Jesus means that you imitate Jesus in his attitude and in his actions. And so if our Savior values the one, then now it becomes our mission to value the one as well. 
Just like the woman diligently searches for the lost coin, we are called to diligently search for the lost ones in our life. So consider this question this morning. Who is someone who is far from God but close to you? Who is someone in your life who is far from God but close to you? That is your one. Now, how can you diligently search after that one? How can you love and pursue this one in the same way that God has loved and pursued you? Well, it could look in a number of different ways. Maybe it starts off with just asking, hey, how can I pray for you? Maybe it comes to inviting them over to your house for a meal. Maybe it comes to inviting them to a Bible study or to a Sunday school class. Maybe it comes to inviting them to our Easter service, April 17th. Maybe it comes to inviting them to our revival, May 1st through 3rd. Our mission is to value the one who is far from God but close to you this morning. Our third and final point is this, is that our joy increases by valuing the one. Our joy increases by valuing the one. So we know that our Savior values the one. We know that it is now our mission to do the same. And when you are obedient, you will see your joy increase. We get to the third story. Some call this the story of the prodigal son. Some call it the story of the two lost sons. Charles Dickens said, this is the greatest short story ever told. And it starts off this way in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. In other words, the, the son said to the father, I do not want you, I only want your stuff. He said, my preference for you is that you would die so I can have my inheritance, but since that doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon, can I just take your stuff now and leave? Imagine the heartache that father felt to hear your son or your grandson or any family member tell you that. I only want your stuff, not you. It would be heartbreaking. And so this father graciously gives him his inheritance and he goes on his way and he says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. The Old Testament says that a son who rebels in such an extreme way would have been cut off from his family, would have been cut off from his community. They had a whole ceremony for it when they would break off this large pot in front of them and they would cry out to this rebellious son one last time, urging them to repent and come back to the family. And if he would not, then they would be completely cut off from his family and his community because of his rebellion. It goes on and it says in verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went up and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Now to us, that just sounds like a, a farm job. To a Jew, to work with pigs, something they would never even consider. These pigs are unclean animals. And for a Jew to work among pigs is the worst job in the entire world. And he comes to such extreme need where he has nothing and all these friends that he partied with are gone now that he hires himself out to work with these pigs. And now he works with these unclean animals, making himself an unclean person, further distancing himself from God and from his father and his family. It goes on and it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. 
I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And here, among the pigs, he finally has this moment of repentance. He finally comes to his senses, it says, and he turns from his sin, and he turns back towards his father. And he decides to go home, ask for forgiveness, even if that means working as a servant in his father's home. So it says in verse 20, and he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, in, gro- uh, in that time, grown men would have worn these long robes. And they never, ever would have run in public. Because if they ran in public, the robes would have risen up, they would have exposed their knee, and it would have brought great shame upon them and their family. But what does the father do here? When he sees his son, his lost son, who is returning from a far distance, does he walk with dignity towards his son? No, he takes off. Doesn't care about any shame that he brings upon himself because he's so overwhelmed with love for his son. He doesn't care what he no longer looks like. He only cares about being with his son and he runs to him. God has done the same thing for us. He runs towards us. Not thinking about himself anymore. It says in verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. See, when the son comes home, the father is so gracious to him that he gives him three things. Did you catch what they were? He gives his son three things when he returns. He gives him first the best robe in the house. The best robe in the house would have belonged to the father. He's the most important person in the house. He wears the best robe. The father gives his own robe to his son. Second, he gives him a ring, a symbol of authority in his house. And third, he gives him sandals or shoes, a sign of wealth and a sign of sonship. See, during that time, servants didn't wear sandals inside the house. Only sons did. And he said, you are home and you don't even think about being a servant. You are welcomed home as my son and I love you. And I'll clothe you with my robe, and I'll clothe you with my ring, and I'll clothe you with my shoes, because you are mine, and you are my son, and you will live here and and enjoy sonship forever. It says, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. So our joy increases by valuing the one. Our joy increases by valuing the one. The father demonstrates this. His joy increases, right? When he sees a son coming off, he takes off for him. With joy, he gives him this robe and this ring and these sandals. His joy increases by loving sinners and forgiving them. For the last couple months, we've been giving out this book called Gentle and Lowly in the Welcome Center. There's still plenty of copies in there. You can grab one to, um, for your own personal worship. You can give it out to someone, a friend or family member as an Easter gift. Um, but the subtitle is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And it's a wonderful, encouraging book that reminds you no matter what you've done, and no matter what you're currently suffering, God points his love towards you. And he has this quote in here where he says, Christ's heart is not drained by our coming to him. 
his heart is filled up all the more by our coming to him. So when we hold back, lurking in the shadows, fearful and failing, we miss out not only on our own increased comfort, but on Christ's increased comfort. He lives for this. This is what he loves to do. When you come to Christ for mercy, you are going with the flow of his deepest wishes, not against them. So this morning, if you consider yourself a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son, and you think, who am I to come back to God and ask him for forgiveness? Remember that when you come to Christ for mercy, you are going with the flow of his deepest wishes, not against them. He will run to you and embrace you just like the father did this younger son. But that's not the only son in the story. There's an older son as well. And it says, now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because you, because he received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. So he was out working. He came home. There was a party. His younger son, his younger brother was there. And instead of being happy about it and rejoicing, he was mad. His father comes out to talk to him about it and says, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You see, there's two different ways to ruin your relationship with God. The first is like the younger son in the story, where you break every rule. You live life however you want to, and that will definitely break your relationship with God. The other way to break your relationship with God is to be like the older son in the story. Keep all the rules, but you do it with the wrong motivation. The older son was keeping all the rules. He was doing everything his father asked, not because he loved his father, because he wanted his approval and he wanted all this stuff. You can break God's heart and distance yourself from God either by breaking all the rules or by keeping all the rules in the wrong way. And he reminds us here that if you want joy, it comes by having the same heart as the Father. Our joy increases by valuing the one. In all three stories, there's community rejoicing at the end. Remember, we said it's kind of strange, right? If you lose your remote, you find your remote, you're not going to throw a party in the neighborhood. But in each one of these three stories, at the end, there's rejoicing. There's community rejoicing. And yet, the last story ends on a cliffhanger. What happens to older brother? Does he go in and join the party? Does he stay outside and pout? We don't know. It doesn't end. There's a cliffhanger. Why is that? Why would Jesus not end the story? Tell us what's to come. It's almost like he's inviting you into the story. And it's almost like saying, okay, now the choice is yours. Are you going to come inside and join in with the rejoicing and the party? Or are you going to stay outside and think that you don't need it? You don't need grace. You don't need God's love. You can do this on your own. If we as a church want to be a more joyful church, if we as individuals want to be more joyful individuals, how does that happen? It stays by staying focused on God's mission and valuing 
the one, just like he does. Instead of grumbling, complaining like the Pharisees and the scribes about all the sin and lost sheep in our world, let's join in with the rejoicing. Let's walk into the party. Let's love the lost sheep in the same way that our God loves the lost sheep. And let's rejoice in what he is doing every single day in this church and around the world. So this morning, if you consider yourself a lost son, a lost coin, a lost sheep, today is a morning to be found. Come back to the Father. Turn from your sin. Trust in Christ. If you want to make that decision, mark that decision on the First Connection card. Drop that card in one of our giving stations, and a pastor will follow up with you. Or you can come down and speak to me after the service. But if you're a Christian in here already, then what's God calling you to do? He's calling you to identify and to pursue one in your life, just like he has done. So again, who's one person that's far from God, but close to you? And how can you diligently pursue them in the same way that God has diligently pursued you? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for your word. Pray that you'd continue to encourage us and challenge us through this story. Help it to sink down deep into our hearts and affect the way that we live this week. We thank you for Jesus and for his love, and we pray this in his name.